or one of them, is when someone says, many hands make light work, which is how the saying traditionally goes, you always respond by saying, many hands make light work unless you work at a nail salon. (laughs) Get it? Because you're... Many hands make a lot of work. So... Well, again, good morning. Welcome to Prairie View. We're glad that you're here. Glad that that joke went over so well. But we should get started with our worship. Things are really deteriorating in here this morning. Well, several months ago, I got a flyer in the mail from a local church. And I'm sure they sent it to thousands of homes in the area. And they were trying to get people to attend one of their upcoming worship services. And on this flyer, there were several different promises made in hopes that I would take this church up on their invitation and go to that worship service. The flyer promised that there would be good coffee, free Wi-Fi, and no dress code. And it even said that there would be well-lit exits if I decided I wanted to leave in the middle of things. Now, I read it, and I thought, you know, that might sound pretty good, but there was one promise this flyer made that really stuck with me. And it's the inspiration for our new sermon series at Prairie View, Churchy Stuff. The flyer promised that if I attended a service, nobody would try to talk to me about any of that churchy stuff. Now, I don't want to come across as some overly rigid or uptight, cranky traditionalist. I mean, clearly this flyer wasn't targeted to people like me. It was targeted to people who might be skittish at the thought of attending a church service, maybe with good reason, or it was maybe even targeted to people who were skeptical of Christianity in general. And there's absolutely a place for that. There is something to be said for trying to eliminate unnecessary barriers that may prevent someone from coming to a church and hearing about Jesus. That's all well and good. And while I may be able to nitpick a little bit when it comes to their strategy, I certainly applaud that church's efforts and applaud their intentions. But that promise to not talk about churchy stuff, it just stuck with me. I started wondering, well, what exactly would they define as churchy stuff? And what is it about churchy stuff that makes them so careful not to talk about it too much? And then I also got wondering, is there some stuff that we Christians and that churches should insist on talking about, even if it makes non-believers in Jesus uncomfortable, or even if it makes them roll their eyes at us when they think that we're being way too churchy? And as I spent the past several months thinking about this, this churchy stuff, I had an idea that seems to be the opposite of the church that sent that flyer. So my idea with this sermon series was that we could take the opposite approach and intentionally make a point to talk about churchy stuff. Let's talk about the things that make the church unique. Let's talk about the teachings that we Christians believe and the practices that we have in place. Simply put, let's talk about why we do what we do. Why is the stuff that other people would refer to as too churchy so important to us. So, I'm sure there are tons of things that could fall into that broad category of churchy stuff. But the things that stuck out to me the most were preaching, singing, giving, communion, baptism, leadership, and membership. What do we believe about these things? 
and why do we practice them so much? But today we start off with preaching. What is it? Why do we do it? And why should it matter to us as believers in Christ? So open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Feel free to use the Bibles that we have. If you don't have one of your own, take that home with you even if you need to. And then, of course, feel free to follow along on the screen as well. But before we go any further, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for another opportunity that comes every single week to get together and do churchy stuff. It might seem strange to some people. It might seem cheesy or annoying or even nonsensical. But Father, the things that we do here matter. Because we really believe the things that we do here bring you glory. We really believe that by practicing these things and in believing these things, we're obeying you and listening to you. And so, Father, we take them seriously. But, Father, none of these things that we do, all the churchy stuff, would matter. None of it would be important if your son didn't die and rise from the grave. If that didn't really happen, then, yeah, this really is just silly, meaningless, churchy stuff. But, Father, we know that that's not true. We know that your son really did die, really did rise, and really will return. And so, Father, I pray that as we gather together this morning, as we worship, as we do the things we do week in and week out, we would be reminded of their importance and that we would remember that the only reason they're important is because your son really did die and really did rise. And we thank you for that. We thank you that our sins are forgiven. We thank you that you have an inheritance awaiting us that we certainly don't deserve. We thank you that you call us your children, even though we deserve to be treated like your enemies. You are so kind and so gracious and so merciful, and we give you all the glory. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Christ. We ask this all in his name. Amen. Well, you might be secretly thinking to yourself, great, I didn't think a sermon could get any more boring, but now I have to hear a sermon about sermons. But honestly, it really shouldn't come as any surprise to you that I want to talk about preaching. After all, this is my livelihood. But I'd go further to say that preaching is a calling from God. But we'll talk about that more a little bit later. I really care about preaching. By my count, I've preached just under 250 sermons in my almost 10 years of working in churches. And the overwhelming majority of those sermons have been right here, on this stage, from this pulpit. I've likely spent somewhere around 4,000 hours reading, studying, writing, praying about, and thinking about sermons. And if you've been a believer for 5 years, or 10 years, or 20 years, or 50 years, you've probably heard hundreds, or even thousands of sermons from lots of different preachers. Now again, I care about preaching. But part of what I'll argue here today is that you should care about preaching, too. Every believer in Christ should care about preaching, especially when it comes to the preaching that happens in your local church. Now, to be totally honest, by many measures, preaching isn't necessarily in great shape these days. While there are lots of godly, competent, and passionate preachers out there, some names you'd recognize and some names you wouldn't, 
at churches both big and small. In spite of that, it seems like preaching has come on hard times. Many people, Christians included, wonder whether or not preaching, at least as it's typically practiced, has much of a place in the church anymore. And if it does have a place, those people might argue that preaching needs to change drastically and fast. They might argue that there should be less monologue, one person talking, and more dialogue, more interactive sermons. They might argue that sermons should take up way less time to account for shrinking attention spans, that sermons should employ modern technology better, especially visual aids. There should be less focus on proclaiming authoritative truths and more focus on just people trying to figure things out together. They might argue that preachers should spend less time in some dusty old book and more time talking about contemporary issues and felt needs. They might say that preaching should be less about teaching and more about inspirational speaking. They might argue that there shouldn't be one authoritative figure talking about big ideas like holiness or sin or judgment. Instead, there should be multiple voices and a greater emphasis on the therapeutic side of preaching, just trying to make us all feel better. Now, it's certainly true that preaching can and should be willing to adapt within different contexts. No preacher would deny that. But the bigger question we're after this morning is this. What does God expect of preaching? What are God's standards for good, healthy preaching? The kind of preaching that glorifies him and builds up his church. And what should you, as a body of believers seeking to grow in love, holiness, and maturity, what should you expect of the sermons that you hear at your church? Now, as we talk about what Christians should look for in preaching, Scripture, of course, would be a good place to start. Think about the Old Testament prophets, some of the earliest preachers. They were specifically called by God and commanded by God to say to Israel what he told them to say. And the news from the Old Testament prophets, the sermons they preached, it wasn't always good news. But boy, could they preach. One of the verses that every preacher loves is from Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9. There Jeremiah almost begrudgingly, almost angrily says, If I say I will not mention him, referring to God, or if I say I will not speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Jeremiah is saying that he's been called by God to share this message that God has given him. And he can't resist that call. It's all he knows how to do. He can't keep it quiet. If he doesn't preach, it's like a fire in his body that he has to get out. He can't help but preach. In Ezra chapter 8, there's a great story about God's people rededicating themselves to the law of Moses. And Ezra the priest gets up on a stage stands behind a pulpit, reads the law to the people, and helps them understand what it means. It's a worship service. It's a sermon. And then we get to the New Testament. Jesus himself was a preacher. In fact, he wasn't just any preacher. He was the greatest preacher. 
His Sermon on the Mount is proof of that. And then in the book of Acts, the world is turned upside down through the apostles' preaching about the crucified and risen Christ. We see a strong and long track record of preaching in the pages of Scripture. How God has used people sharing his message over and over again throughout history. But the portions of Scripture that teach us the most about preaching, especially when it comes to the content and motivation for it, they're found in the writings of the Apostle Paul, the persecutor of Christians turned Christian preacher. So let's read that passage we opened up to, 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul is preparing for his death. And as he does so, he issues a very stern and very serious challenge to his beloved apprentice, Timothy. So what, according to Paul, should this young preacher, Timothy, preach? Well, Paul says, the word. Scripture should be the main content of Timothy's preaching and of Christian preaching to this very day. And even more specifically, the preacher's job is to show the congregation how all of Scripture ultimately points us to Christ. In his preaching to the Corinthians, Paul specifically says that he decided to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Everything about Paul's ministry, everything about Paul's preaching revolves around Jesus Christ crucified and risen. That's what it's all about. And if Paul strays from that word, then he's got no ministry left. He's got no preaching left. No one should listen to him as long as he doesn't share that. In the book of Galatians, Paul even says that if anyone comes to you and preaches a different gospel than the one that we've given you, revolving around the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, let him be accursed. Paul says if anybody comes to you preaching a different gospel, whether it be me, whether it be a different preacher, whether it be an angel from heaven, don't listen to that preacher. Because it's all about the word. It is always about the crucified and risen Christ. But then also in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes it clear that his preaching didn't rest in some fancy rhetorical abilities like the impressive philosophers or speakers of his day. More than anything else, the authority of Paul's preaching rested in the content of Paul's message. The gospel, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen. The authority was in that word, not in Paul himself. And if a preacher relies on anything other 
than the spirit-filled, life-giving, powerful word of God, then that preacher has no real authority to claim. In Ezekiel chapter 37, there's a valley of dry bones in front of the prophet Ezekiel. And what does God tell Ezekiel to do? Preach to the bones. And those bones are brought back to life. But the only thing that can bring those dead bones to life is the message that God gave Ezekiel. The word. And in the same way, the only thing that can change the hearts and change the minds of sinners is the word. If any preacher tries to convince you or tries to force you to become a believer simply through their impressive speaking or simply through their new and innovative ideas, they're no longer preaching. They're manipulating. And they should be avoided. At the end of his ministry, when someone asked Martin Luther why his preaching was so effective, why his preaching was so powerful, Luther responded, I simply taught, preached, and wrote about God's word. Otherwise, I did nothing. The word did it all. The word did it all. Haddon Robinson, a famous preacher who died about a year ago, says this, Those in the pulpit face the pressing temptation to deliver some message other than that of the scriptures. A political system, either right-wing or left-wing. A theory of economics. A new religious philosophy. Old religious slogans. Or the latest trend in psychology. Ministers can proclaim anything in a stained glass voice on Sunday morning following the singing of hymns. Yet when they fail to preach the scriptures, they abandon their authority. No longer do they confront their hearers with a word from God. That is why most modern preaching evokes little more than a wide yawn. God is not in it. Again, if your preaching is based on anything other than the word, you have no authority to claim. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says, We also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Again, only the word of God can work in believers, changing hearts and changing minds the way they need to be changed. And so the preacher's job is to deliver that word above all else. So that's what Timothy should preach. But when should Timothy preach this word? Well, if you look back at 2 Timothy 4, he should preach it in season and out of season. In other words, he should preach it all the time. Whether that word is accepted or rejected, in vogue or out of style, comforting and encouraging, or challenging and convicting. And of course, when should Timothy preach the word? Well, when the church gathers together to worship. From the earliest days of the church in the book of Acts, we see preachers preaching when the church gathers together to worship. And then how should Timothy preach the word? Well, he should preach it in a way that reproves, rebukes, and exhorts his congregation. In a way that spurs them on in their love for Christ, their spiritual maturity, and their growth in godliness. Paul says that Timothy should do this with patience and teaching. Walking with his congregation gently 
in order that they may learn and grow. And then another aspect of preaching that Paul specifically draws our attention to in that passage, 2 Timothy 4, is the preacher's job to confront false teaching. In the Old Testament, a false prophet was someone who claimed to be called by God, but actually wasn't, and someone who claimed to have a message from God, but their message actually wasn't from God. That's an Old Testament false prophet. And the New Testament false teacher isn't much different. The New Testament false teacher is someone who claims to be called by God, but they're not. And they claim their message is from God, but it isn't. And Paul clearly tells them that they should not follow these preachers. They should not follow these teachers. And Timothy should not sink to the level of becoming one of them. But Timothy shouldn't be surprised when people don't want to hear the word. And instead want to hear preaching that turns a blind eye to, or even directly endorses or condones their sin. But regardless of how people respond to it, Paul's challenge to Timothy remains the same. Preach the word. Preach it over and over and over again. Because the more familiar your congregation is with the true and inspired word of God, the easier it will be for them to spot lies and errors that will lead them astray. So what should be preached? The word of Christ crucified and risen. When should that word be preached? All the time, regardless of how the hearers respond. And how should that word be preached? In all its fullness, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. Elevating the truth and confronting lies. All done with patience and teaching. But why should the word be preached? Why do we do it so much? Why do we care about it so much? Why do we do it so consistently? For that, look at Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. A few verses earlier, Paul talks about the glorious good news that everyone who calls on the name of Christ will be saved. But then he says in verse 14, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So why should the word be preached? Simply put, in order that more people may hear and know the glorious good news of the gospel. That more people may call on the name of the Lord and be saved. The news that we have, the news that we believe, is news worth sharing. It's worth announcing. It's worth preaching about it. Even if people think you're getting too preachy. Now, as Paul acknowledges, not everyone who hears the word preach will actually believe it. Ultimately, no preacher can control who believes and who doesn't. But the person who never hears the word preached can't believe it. That's why Paul argues that the person who announces this good news has beautiful feet. Now, I can't speak for Zach's feet, but I know that mine aren't very pretty. But then again, the emphasis is not on the messenger. The emphasis is not on the preacher. 
The only thing that makes the messenger so welcome is the message that they have to offer. There is nothing special about a preacher. He is another sinner, just like anybody else. But he does have a message worth sharing. And then finally, one more question. Who should preach the word? Well, as I mentioned earlier, I truly believe that God has called me to preach. I don't say that to sound cheesy. I don't say that to sound holier than thou. I really believe it. And the idea of calling is a biblical idea. We should acknowledge that some people are uniquely called to specific ministries and given the skills and passions necessary to fulfill those ministries well. In our day and age, that may include people called to vocational ministry, doing it full-time for the sake of their livelihood. But in the big scheme of things, this calling is ultimately not all about the preacher. It's all for the glory of God and the good of the church. We see that in a passage like Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11. Paul says there, God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We clearly see that preaching is a gift to the church. It is a gift to every single believer within the church. It's for the building up of the church, for the health of the church, for the maturity of the church, and it's for the glory of God. But I also think this passage somewhat implicitly teaches us that in a church, there's great value in more than one person preaching. We see multiple types of positions or callings or gifts listed in that passage. Prophets, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. And throughout the church's existence and throughout his ministry, Paul worked hard to raise up elders in local churches, multiple leaders in local churches. And in 1 Timothy 3, one of Paul's criteria for a good elder is the ability to teach. It's a good thing that there are multiple people at Prairie View with the ability to teach and the ability to preach God's word. It's good for them and it's good for you. And I think it's incredibly beneficial for you to hear God's word taught from more than just one person. To hear it taught from multiple different perspectives. To hear it taught from people with different experiences. That's why we have multiple people preaching and teaching here. Because we think it glorifies God and builds you up as a church. So again, what should be preached? The word. When should the word be preached? All the time. How should it be preached? In all its fullness, with patience and teaching. Why preach it? So that more may hear and believe. 
And who should preach it? Those called and equipped by God to do so. However, I do want to make one thing clear before we close. While not everyone is called to quit their job and become a preacher, and while not everyone is called to work in a church full-time or even seek some leadership position in the church on a volunteer basis, sharing the word of the gospel isn't just for the professionals. In fact, it's not even just for the people who have those leadership positions in the church. People like elders. In a certain sense, every single Christian is called to be a preacher. We read the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That great commission is issued to every disciple of Jesus. You may not have impressive speaking skills, or endless scriptural knowledge, or a knack for debating the lofty theological and philosophical questions of our day, but you have Jesus. And all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he is with you always, even to the end of the age. You have the same word that Paul charged Timothy to preach. You have the same Holy Spirit that indwelt Paul, who indwelt Timothy. You have the same message, the same gospel of Christ crucified for sinners and risen from the dead. And on top of that, you probably spend far more time with non-believers than I do. Your feet could be the feet to bring the good news to friends and family, neighbors and co-workers, people who would never darken the door of a church to hear a sermon, no matter how many slick flyers a church sends out in the mail. There are people who would not take a word I say about Christ seriously, but they would take you seriously. So go out and preach. You have a message. You have news worth sharing. As we close, a few quotes that every preacher loves. Richard Baxter said, I preached as never sure to preach again, and as a dying man to dying men. John Wesley said, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. Such alone will shake the gates of hell. Charles Spurgeon said, We might preach till our tongues rotted, till we should exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless there were the mysterious power going with it, the Holy Spirit changing the will of man. O stirs, we might as well preach to stone walls as preach to humanity unless the Holy Spirit be with the word to give it power to convert the soul. Now again, I care deeply about preaching. Not just because it's what I do for a living, but because I believe God cares about preaching too. And I hope that after this sermon, you might care a little bit more about preaching as well. The world needs to hear good, godly preaching. The church needs it. You need it. And I need it. And if anything less than that ever comes from this pulpit, 
whether it's from me or from Zach or one of the elders or from anyone else, say something because it matters too much for you not to. Preaching is not just one of those awkward, annoying, churchy things that Christians do because it's what we've always done. It's not just one of those things that we talk about too much or that we do because we're bored. Preaching is one of God's top priorities in the local church. And it should be one of our top priorities as well. So may we value it. May we continue practicing it. And may we do it all for the glory of God and the good of believers. The good of his church. We have a message worth sharing. You have a message worth sharing. So may we all go out and share it. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of preaching your word. Thank you that I've been here for five years preaching this word, and this congregation has been patient and understanding and has listened. And thank you that we've all learned from your word together. Thank you again that preaching is not just some churchy thing we do just for the sake of doing it. But it truly is a calling and a gift, a privilege and a responsibility that we all, in one way or another, share in. And so, Father, I pray that here at Prairie View Christian Church, the message of your Son, crucified for sinners and risen from the dead, would continually echo in this room. That no matter five years from now, or ten years from now, or fifty years from now, whoever's standing on this stage, that your word would be preached. That no matter how much the world changes, no matter how much our church changes, one thing that would never change is that we preach your word. We preach the gospel. So, Father, help us, equip us, empower us to do that every single Sunday. And, Father, be with us as we leave on Sunday, on those days, Monday through Saturday, that in a way we would be preachers as well. That the people around us would hear and know the gospel and come to believe it. But Father, that won't happen through our speaking abilities. It won't happen through our ability to persuade people. It won't happen through manipulating people. It'll happen simply through preaching your word and trusting that your Holy Spirit can move and work and change hearts and minds when your word is preached. So, Father, help us to do that. Again, we have a message worth sharing, an announcement worth preaching. And so I pray that we would preach it well. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Christ. We ask this all in his name. Amen.